If you have a Bible, let me encourage you. Uh, we're going to look in two different places. First uh, Corinthians chapter number eight is where we're going to start. First Corinthians chapter number eight, and then if you wouldn't mind putting uh, or holding on to that, and then also finding Ephesians chapter number four. Trent, there's just a little ring up here uh, for me. I don't know about out there, but I'm sorry. It's Second Corinthians eight, not not First Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter eight, and then um, also. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a book that was written, uh, and it was called, and maybe some of you have heard of this, All I Really Need to Know. I learned in kindergarten. How many of you have ever heard of that book? It was the author he took, uh, he began kind of looking over his life and saying, you know what, some of the most important truths, some of the most important truths in my life, I actually learned as a, as a young child, I learned them as small truths, but they've become more complex as I've lived my life. But actually, I could go back to kindergarten and learn and tell you some of the truths. And the very first one that he offered was share everything. First lesson he said that he has learned in kindergarten that has been a part of his life is share everything. We all get that, right? Sharing is a, is a lesson we try to teach our children, especially as siblings uh, come along. It's because we know that inside of, of every child, there's this deceiving voice that says, you know that block? You know that doll? You know that truck that you're holding onto? If you give it to someone else, they're going to be happy and you won't be. So hold on to it. And in fact, if you see someone else with it, go take it from them. Like that's, that, that's, what, that's what these little five-year-old voices are hearing. But, you know, as we grow, some things change but some things stay the same see we we don't play with blocks anymore we call them stocks and we we look at those 401ks and we look at those retirement counts and we're like i gotta hold on to that that's gonna make me happy and girls don't necessarily play with dolls but they still do the dress-up game right uh just open up any lady's closet and you'll be able to see like they're not maybe they're not dressing up little ones but they're dressing themselves up can't share that and boys boys will always be boys right they still actually play with trucks they're just life-size trucks and they still play with guns and they still play with basketballs and volleyballs and soccer balls and footballs we constantly have this this voice that used to speak to us as a five-year-old is now still speaking to us as 50-year-olds and 70-year-olds. Hey, if the stock market crashes, you're not going to be happy. Hey, if, 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 if you ruin that dress or if, if, that, if something happens to, to you where you lose the job, you can't wear clothes, you're, you better hold on to what you have. And what if this pandemic continues? Because if it does, you better make sure that you've stocked up on toilet paper and hand wipes and sanitizer. So go stockpile because if you don't have it, you just might not be happy. But you got to ask, is, is that how God intended his children to live? Taking opportunity, to taking everything we have and piling it up and, and always looking for the opportunity to get more. If you're with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we're, we're working our way through a series and at the tail end of it called A Biblical Church where we've looked at some scriptural characteristics of what a church 
is. And we've discussed worship, the Word of God, prayer, biblical community, evangelism, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, discipleship, and then we spent some very exciting, happy, great, deep diving, wonderful, glorious truths of church leadership. Yeah. I, I told uh, when, we, when we were discussing this, hey, this is, this is going to be like setting out green beans for a main dish. And people decided to send me pictures of green beans that week, uh, reminding me, yeah, this, this, is what you, this is what you gave us in church on Sunday. <laughs> last Sunday, it was, the, it was the last one on leadership, and I thought, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And so it was Thursday. I've got my message almost ready. And it was Thursday, and I'm up at Mount Zion where I love to pray. And I'm like, Lord, nah, let's not. Let's, let's just talk about how good you are. Let's, let's talk about your grace. And you know what? It's, it's amazing. As much as I didn't want to share, the Lord is like, that's where you're going. And so, so we did. And I was thankful, May, actually, for your comment last Sunday after church. Uh, May, who's uh, Miss Peggy's neighbor, has been coming for a number of weeks, and she just walked right up to me, walked right up to me and said, thank you for teaching the truths of the Word of God. And that was very meaningful to me, and I, I truly appreciate that. We have two characteristics of a biblical church left, and it's, they kind of overlap one another, and so we're going to kind of use them together a little bit, but generosity and service. Generosity and service. And, and, and knowing that this church, not just as a collective group, but as a collective group, moved by generosity, but this church made up of the individuals that come here, we should be living lives of generosity. So this morning, we're going to start in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, but before we get there, I'm going to start, I'm going to read from Romans, because what you're going to read in 2 Corinthians 8 actually is referring to something else Paul talks about in Romans. So I'm going to have the Romans verses behind me, and then we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, because Paul is going to talk to the church of Corinth about an offering that was made by some other churches. So in Romans chapter 15, here's what, here's what Paul writes. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So these two churches, or these churches of Macedonia and Achaia, have decided they want to help the poor people in Jerusalem, the poor saints in Jerusalem. Verse 27. For they were pleased to do it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So somehow, whether it was Paul or some other, someone else, they, they told these churches in Macedonia, and I just wanted to show you where they are. Macedonia is the edge of the yellow uh, arrow, and, and, and Jerusalem is the edge of the orange arrow. So these churches in Macedonia, far from the church in Jerusalem, Paul says they've taken an offering to help the, the poor saints in Jerusalem, and he tells them why. He said this, if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in now, honestly, that can be very confusing. So, so let, me, let me try to help you real quick. The Jews were considered the people of God. Anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. The rest of the world were Gentiles. 
And so what he's saying is if the Gentiles, the rest of the world, have come to share in their, the Jews' spiritual blessings. Now, what does that mean? Well, it was Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that received the promise from God that through him, his lineage, the the Messiah would come. The Jewish Messiah would come, but he would be the savior of the world. But it came through the Jews. And so the Gentiles who are on the outside, they're looking and saying, wow, we have received this in Christ because of what the Jews have done. So if they have brought us our spiritual blessings, we are then in return going to bring them part of our material blessings. Does that, does that make sense to you? I don't want to leave you with, without understanding that. But the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians says that when Jesus came, he he brought down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And now these Jews and Gentiles are no longer family of God, everyone else. Jew and Gentile are now one family in Christ, one body in Christ. So they're, they're brought together. And so these Gentiles are in Macedonia are saying, we know you are our brothers in Jerusalem and we want to reach out and help you because if Jesus cared for my eternal needs, then we want to help you, our brothers, with earthly needs. I thought, I just, I love, I love how it moves. So that is the offering we're about to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Okay, so if you would join me there, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. The Bible says this in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, I'm sorry, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So before we explain why Paul's telling this to the Corinthians, you got to understand, remember what we just read in Romans, how they gave? You got to see what Paul was saying about them, what was taking place. It wasn't that they had a whole lot and they just sent over their extras, but you read this, he says it was in a severe test of affliction, But their abundance of, wouldn't you think it'd be the abundance of wealth would lead them to give? Abundance of joy. And their extreme poverty. An abundance of joy and having very little has overflowed to a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means what they could, and as I can testify, beyond their means. Whoa, what a, what a testimony of this group begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. They were desiring to, to be a part of giving and offering to help their brothers and sisters in churches. When I think of that, I'm like, like who begs to give an offering? Um, it's like the kid in class who reminds the teacher, hey, you told us we were going to have a test today and we didn't take it. Nobody does that, right? I mean, what, what Christian enjoy, what, what Christian is like, hey, 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 you didn't take up the offering. Don't forget about that. But that's, that's what we read here about them. 
And Paul's actually writing to the Corinthian Christians about this particular offering because at some point the Corinthian church, the one we're reading about, they also pledged to take up an offering to help the same people in Jerusalem. Look at verse number 10, if you would. Verse number 10. Paul says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, fin now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So Paul's saying, a, a year ago, you started collecting because you really desired to have this. And, and if you were to read all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, you'll find Paul goes back and forth. He's, he's so excited about the, uh, about the Corinthians' desire to help somebody, but he always is encouraging them to follow through on what you said. Because I think we all know how easy it is to be moved emotionally to want to give. But then following through on that is, is often a different story. Many churches are around the, the, the nation that I know of, they, they don't build their missions giving into their budget. They pass out cards to the church family and say, we're going to decide how much we're going to give to missions this year on faith, faith promise. They'll pass out cards to the, to the whole church, and the church will say, yeah, I really want to help on missions this year. And from what I understand from Christians within churches, if the faith promise pledges, if you get 60% of that in, you're doing pretty good. It's because sometimes it's so easy to be moved and difficult to follow through. And so Paul's like, hey, let's get finished with what you have said you want to share. I believe it's really important for us as, as Christians to, to move when God lays something on our heart. You know, as, as Renee mentioned, talked much about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wants us to be evident witnesses in the world around us. And sometimes the Lord will put something on your heart and you think, yeah, I'm going to help that person. And then we don't. We forget. And just, just, hey, if God leads you to act generously, he won't leave you without the means. God's not going to tell you to do something and then not provide the way to do it. So I would encourage you, if, if God ever lays something on your heart to help someone, live with that generosity. But Paul instructs the, the, the church of Corinth, and, and here's the three truths I want to share with you today. That a life of generosity is a response to the radical grace of Jesus, a belief in the good provision of Jesus, and a life of generosity is a desire for the glory of Jesus. So let's look at each one of these principles. First, a life of generosity is a response to the radical grace of Jesus. Would you look down at verse number eight? Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse number eight, Paul says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, I love the Bible. I love the whole Bible. But that's one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 8, 
9. The one who was rich became poor so that those who were poor might become rich through his poverty. That's our, our king. Our king who owned everything stepped off of his throne and came to this earth and took off of his robe and took on the debts, the criminals of his land on himself. And then he was beaten for those debts, eventually put to death for those debts. And yet since he was the king, he rose from the grave and he's going to ascend back to that throne. But as he ascends back to the throne, he also takes that robe and he drapes it over the was once criminal who he paid for our freedom that's the generous grace of jesus and that is what paul asks this church to respond to he says don't listen to my command don't move by my words move by what you know is the grace of our lord jesus christ now, I'm convinced that my wife loves me. So if you were you to say, do you know that your wife loves you? Yes, I know my wife loves me. But you know, there are times that I'm really reminded of that. I go to a wedding. Honestly, when I sit at anybody's wedding, my heart is moved afresh at the vows that we made to one another. When I see her, uh, when our children have birthdays, uh, my wife makes them a special cake, whatever they want, she prepares it. And as I, as I watch her laboring, and I think she loves our family so much. We'll celebrate next month in just a couple of weeks our 25th wedding anniversary. And anniversaries are moments where you reflect at your, what, that, what happened at your wedding and the life that you have lived. Do I know my wife loves me? Yes, but there are moments that I need to be specifically reminded of that. And Paul says, you know, meaning they already knew the grace of Jesus, but he wanted to specifically remind them that that grace brought their rich king into poverty so that their poor, those poor people could be made rich through what he did for them. And that reminds me, we need to be preaching the grace of we need to be preaching the gospel of Jesus to our hearts every single day. Because the more I'm filled with the grace of Jesus, the more that grace can spill into the lives of others. So some of you may have heard this and some of you may not, but um, this Wednesday or Thursday, my, my, the headlight of my truck, which was sitting out here in the parking lot, was just, just ripped out. It just, just pulled out. And I didn't know anything about it. And if someone said, you're missing a headlight, and I had no idea. And so I went out there, and I look at it, and I'm like, that's so crazy. What in the, who would take a headlight? And immediately the Lord said to me, as I was standing there, he said to me, that's not your truck. When I was a school teacher... For a number of years in a Christian school, the principal of our Christian school, his name is Don Boyd, and I love that man. He would probably once a month tell us the same story. You know how people repeat things over and over, but he would once a month tell us this story of being a, a freshman in Bible college, and, and one of his roommates borrowed his favorite tie without asking and then ruined it. And he said he was so mad. 
And he went to pray the next time. And when he went to pray, it was like his, his prayers were hitting a wall. Like it was nothing. And he said, all of a sudden, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came over me. And he's like, I was so mad about that tie. It was, it was ruining everything. And he said, in that moment, the Lord came and said, that wasn't your tie anyways. It was my tie. Because everything you have, I've given to you. And he said he got up from that time of prayer, walked up to his closet, and he opened up his closet, and he said, Lord, these are your clothes, whatever you want with these clothes. If you want someone to ruin your favorite tie, we'll let someone ruin your favorite tie. He said every time he bought a car, he laid his hands on that car and said, Lord, this is your car. He bought a home. Lord, this is your home. I can't tell you the number of times I heard him say that. And when I walked out there to see that I was missing a headlight, the first thing I thought of was, that's not your truck. It's his. And because of that, like, at that moment, they, well, then why did you let this happen if it's your truck, God? And he said, be a witness. So I simply tried to use it on, on social media to, to be a witness, and, and I'd never heard anything from, from anybody as far as who took the, who took the light, because I was willing, I'll give you my other light if you let me talk about Jesus, because for whatever reason, that, that was his truck, and he wanted his headlight to be stolen so that his glory can be known. The grace of Jesus is what should lead us to generosity. The grace of Jesus should be so filling us that it spills over into every area of our life where we recognize I'm not my own. That's not my family. Those aren't my things. Everything that I am is his. And he's a good God. He was rich and became poor for me. Secondly, a life of generosity is a belief in the good provision of Jesus. Would you we'll look the next chapter over, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and would you look at verse number 6? 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 6. It says, the point is this. Whoever, I'm sorry, let me put it behind me. Who, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency... God, let me start over verse 8. God is able to make all, thing, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do, do you think God wants to take care of you in every way? So Paul turns, turns to the church that I don't want you to respond to my voice. And he's already said that, but now he says, don't respond under compulsion. Don't be compelled. Don't respond with reluctance. Don't, don't be guilted into it. And then he, he paints this picture for the church of, of someone who walks out to sow the seed uh, uh, on his field. And he says, do you think that a farmer, when he sows the seed, he reaches in and he drops one little seed at a time, being, being very sparingly of, of the seed that he's putting in, thinking, man, I don't want to drop this seed. <laughs> I, I know I'm not a farmer, but those of you that are, I, could you imagine back in those days before tractors and everything else, man, the farmer reaching in and taking a handful of seed and, and throwing it with a smile on his face knowing every seed that is planted and grows is going to bring a bushel in return 
That's the imagery that Paul is trying to present. And he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because God wants us to sow our seed in joyful anticipation of a great harvest from a good God. Who's that God? He's the one who was rich and became poor from us. He's a good God. And as we sow our seed, he's going to bring a bountiful harvest. And I don't think most Christians think that way. Because I know I don't. I was a little kid when my mom and dad started to teach me about tithing. You get a dollar, you give 10 cents to the Lord. That's not fun. What? What did he do for it? You start tithing. And I'll be, I, I grew up tithing obediently but unhappily. And I, that's, that's how I spent a good portion of my teenager and young adult years. I tithed, but I did it with grudging. I did not want to. And somehow, I don't know if it was taught to me or if I just picked it up through my own stupidity, but somehow I, I got this idea that if I didn't give to God through the church, he'd come get it some other way. If you didn't put your offering in the plate, he's going to blow your tire out and you're going to give that same money to the tire store. So you can either choose to give it to God or give it to the tire store. I don't know where that thinking came from, but that sure doesn't reflect the good God of grace. And that sure doesn't lead someone to give cheerfully. But if you talk to my dad about tithing, you'd hear a very different story. I cannot tell you the number of times that my dad would tell me, Brian, you knew I grew up in a construction worker. We had six kids in Christian school all at the same time. He said, but I want you to know your mother and I, we never stopped tithing. We always gave what we believed belonged to the Lord. And he said, yeah. There were times I'd lost my job and we didn't know what we were going to eat, but we gave to the Lord first. And he said, you know what? We never went without food. He said there was times where he was hurt and injured and they didn't know how they were going to pay their school tuition. And he said, we never missed one tuition payment. And sometimes it came in the craziest of ways. But as my dad would start to get tears in his eyes as he would talk about the goodness of God, he would always say, I never stopped giving to him because he never stopped providing for me. Put a price tag on that. I've often thought of my dad at times when I did not want to write out a check to anybody. I didn't want to be generous. I didn't want to give my tithe. I wanted it. He's never, I've never stopped giving to him, he'd say through tears, because he never stopped providing for me. Just wonder, what do, what do you think would happen if we as a church would, would take that tithing envelope and stand in front of those offering boxes and with a big smile imagine we are throwing seed what a harvest is going to come because of our really good God finally a life of generosity is a desire for the glory of Jesus 
I was studying this week, and, and when, when, sometimes when we read, a, when we read a, a verse in church for the first time, it just lacks depth. But I think because I had been studying it and then came to this verse, as I was reading through these verses, I was really overcome with emotion as I was preparing this. And I think it started because I was, was thinking of Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where, where Paul quotes Jesus and saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Like, how many of you have ever told your children that? And like, but in, down deep, you don't necessarily believe it yourself? It feels a lot better to get than to give. But I want you, as we read through this next portion of Scripture, to consider the blessings that are being spoken because of giving. Look at verse number 9. I'm sorry, verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. And I'm going to read it one verse at a time, if you'll let me. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Just pause right there. So who do you think that is? Who's the one that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food? That's our God. Will supply your seed, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Ha! He's going he's gonna to give you seed and bread. He's going to multiply the seed that you're going to have to sow. So you're going to be able to sow more because he's going to multiply it and increase the harvest of your, not wealth, your righteousness. My, my righteousness? So I give, and, and, and as I give, he increases my righteousness? Yeah, because we see the very good God he is. And guess what? The greatest blessings that that God gives is not wealth. The spiritual blessings we get to enjoy of being a child of God, our salvation, our, our justification, just to be declared righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything that he has done. And he grows and he gives us, he allows us to grow and be gifted in grace. That's part of the harvest of righteousness as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the person of Jesus. As we give generously, he multiplies and increases our righteousness. Verse, verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way. Yes. Yes. That's what we want. Huh? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Oh. I thought I got it. Yeah, we, the Lord gives to us so the Lord can give through us. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's why we're generous because we're the, we want the glory of God. So we give and thanksgiving goes to God in verse number 12 for the ministry of this service, meaning the offering that you took up. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. So we're not just supplying the needs of those poor people in Jerusalem, but is also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. Ha, we give, they have their needs met, and God gets thanksgiving from the people who we met, met their needs. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Yes, that's, that's what it's all about. 
We want God to be glorified. Why? Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. As the gospel, as the grace of God moves us to be generous, He is glorified. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Now get, get this last one, verse 14. While they, the ones you gave to, long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. We are generous. We meet needs of people who have needs to met. Thanksgiving, go, Thanksgiving goes up to God. God is glorified. And then they turn around and say, thank you so much. We're going to pray for you. Oh, that's just amazing, all these blessings that come. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. The missionaries we support, Pastor Mike showed pictures of Pastor Leonard. And you know what they say? Thank you, Mount Carmel. Nate Beal, a missionary, and some of you would remember that he and his wife were here in, in 2020. Our young people supported Nate uh, to try to raise money to get to the field in Chile. And, and, and he has told me many times, texted me, tell the church, thank you. Pastor Wilson Pastor Rodell, that you've just recently given to, I promise you there's people across the world you'll never meet who are praying because of your generosity. And at home, at home here too, when people give their lives to Jesus, when vans go out to bring kids in, when we share, to, when we share with families who are in need of groceries, when we step in and help families grieving, like on behalf of our church, we often send flowers to those who have funerals. And, and like this past week with, with Antioch, we, we helped take care of some of the needs for their family to be able to, to eat afterwards. That's because you have been generous. We've gotten to honor our teachers and, and, and our law enforcement officials and, and first responders recently. In just a few weeks, we'll have a trunk or treat right out here in this parking lot. You know, all of that ministry that takes place here in Page County happens because of your generosity. Thank you, church, for caring about the glory of God to be known. But also, you understand people then are grateful for who you are. Your tithes and offerings pay for the lights and utilities to be on here on Sundays and Monday through Fridays for our Christian school where kids get to hear about Jesus. Your tithes and offerings help pay the salaries of, our, of these pastors and these men work so hard. I know it's Pastor Micah. He labors so much and teaches the youth group and classes and, 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 and all the functions that he does. He's able to do that because of your generosity. Thank, thank you. As Pastor Mike helps lead the, lead the school and counsel hurting, hurting hearts and leads our missions team, he can do that because of you. And it all goes back to bringing glory to God. Whether we understand it or not, it's the generosity of the people of God that is the plan of God to provide for the church of God which exists for the glory of God.
I, I know the time's getting away, but I, I want to finish by reading a portion from, from the book of Philippians. Because, because Paul's going to kind of say the same thing to a different church. So just, just bear with me. I'll put it right behind me and I'll, I'll read quickly. This is the closing portion of his letter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, meaning no chance to give. Now that I, not that I am speaking and being of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to, to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, in, every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul doesn't end by saying, my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of this world. Every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Because our greatest needs are not physical needs. Our greatest needs are the needs of our souls. And those needs, our God supplies according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, so may I just repeat, you know the grace of God. Paul already said that. He said that to them. May I say it to you? You know the grace of God. But preach the gospel to your hearts this week so you will be reminded of the riches of spiritual blessings that you already possess in Jesus. Preach it through reading the gospel. Earlier, Paul says in, in, in Romans, sorry, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's another grace. Preach it by living out the gospel. Yes, your generosity may sometimes be rejected or unappreciated, and that is exactly what we did to God's grace too, and what we still often do. Hey, church, you're rich in Christ. So live like it. You're rich, so live like it. Toss the seed with a smile in great anticipation of what our good God is going to do. So can I finish by telling you about my headlight? On Facebook, there were people that said, hey, you know, we'd love to help you do this or you know, we can, we can do this. And two men from other churches texted me right away and said, man, can I help you? I might have a headlight at my house. It was very kind to hear from them. But about 10 minutes after I posted that, I received a message from a young man who was in his late 20s. I worked for his dad. 
all through Bible college as a painter. His dad died of leukemia about a year after I graduated and started working at our Christian school. He was a young boy when I knew him, very little, lost all contact with him. His family went to Belize to be missionaries, and he's been back in the U.S. for a couple of years, and just happenstance, right? About a year ago, we reconnected just through social media. And about 10 minutes after I put something up, I got this message from Matthew Leonard. He said, hey, here's 500 bucks for a new headlight or any need you have. My God will supply every need. It's his truck, his headlight. But when it can be turned for his glory, that's what it's all about. And then he meets the need. You're rich. He will meet every one of your needs this week according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're facing. But his riches are enough. Care for it. Pray with me. Before God, what you've reminded us this week, and even in the song that we sang before we started, started this message, when I, when I bow before you, I'm richer than all kings. When I saw that, God, I just thought, you're so kind. You were preparing my heart. God, we have lots of needs in this church and you know every single one of them. Not one takes you by surprise. There's not one person sitting in here whose heart is heavy that you don't know exactly what's wrong. And Lord, you are already at work. And you're going to work out of the generosity of, of your character. You don't give to us because of how we respond. You give to us because you are just good. Lord, I pray that this community around us, that the families of whom we get to do life together, I pray that, that this week we would just overflow with kindness, with goodness, with generous grace, Lord, that we would very much live open-handed, not out of the abundance of wealth, but out of the abundance of joy because of who our Jesus is and what our Jesus has done for us. Oh, may we truly be a generous church that is comprised of generous Christians who recognize the grace of their very generous God who supplies every need. Your heads bowed and eyes are closed. I don't, I don't know the needs that you have, but would you, would you share them with the Lord right now? Just tell him where you're at. He knows. It's not a secret to him. And then can I remind you, you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. Remind yourself of it. You got a king who was rich that became poor for you. You have a perfect God who knew no sin that became sin for you. And he gives you a relationship with himself at no cost to you. How are you going to respond to that? But to live obediently, cheerfully, joyfully in response to the King of Kings, the King of my life, the risen Savior. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. 